0: When I was little, my family took a vacation to Disney World. One of the memories that stands out to me the most was riding the monorail around the circle of hotels. Grand Floridian, Contemporary, and of course, the Polynesian. Long before I ate my first cheeseburger in paradise, I was mesmerized by the sights and sounds of vintage tropicalia. The Disney treatment gave it that cartoony tongue-in-cheek facade. I vividly recall parrots perched atop broadleaf plants in the atrium, squawking and wobbling about. Even as a child, I felt a a connection. Years later, when I was 13, my parents moved us to Orlando, Florida. And the rest is history. (laughs) Throughout my sister and I's formative years, the family made many, many more trips around that monorail loop. A lot of times, we wouldn't even go to the parks. Simply ride around and hang out or grab a bite at the resorts. I bet you can guess which hotel continually captured my awe. I found myself working for a construction company in my 20s operating a concrete pump. I never minded the hard work, in fact, I I, I rather enjoyed it. Perhaps I would still be working there if it wasn't for the hours. Bigger projects further away, along with trying to evade the Sunshine State's scorching namesake, meant lots of drive time and very, very little sleep. I got to work on a lot of cool builds in a lot of cool places, though. NASA, behind the scenes at Disney, Harry Potter Land at Universal, which my company built from the ground up, plenty plenty of high-rises along beautiful stretches of beach, with all the sights that that vantage point offers. It was like a screensaver, but I got to see it for real. One of my fondest memories of that decade-long chapter in my life was when I was put on a project to redo all the concrete slabs at one of the Disney resorts. Every day for two weeks, I trekked my equipment out to the Polynesian and took my breaks, chilling amid the immaculately groomed tropical grounds. My love affair with the Polynesian obviously came full circle in recent years as I sail along my journey of campy contrivances and pop tiki. The first time I took my now-wife to Disney, I couldn't wait to show her my favorite hotel, which I still have never stayed at. Just saying. If Disney wants to throw a free night to a big fan, uh, what am I saying, it's Disney. All the pixie dust in Neverland couldn't make them give anything away. You know why you can't see the pockets on Mickey's pants? Because they're so tight. Get it? Tight pockets? Anyway, I digress. Unfortunately, we went a bit early that time and the famous Trader Sam's Grotto was closed, so we sat at the upstairs bar taking in the tropical atmosphere as well as imbibing in some early afternoon libations. That's when I saw it. Mind you, I was always a fan of tropical drinks, but this was early in my education of traditional tiki. I hadn't yet dove deeply into the players and the recipes. So when I saw the hurricane glasses lined up behind the bar, all prepped with something sticking out of them, I immediately perked my interest. Is that a signature thing here, or some Disneyfied take on something to be cute? Nope. It's a real drink. What is that thing sticking out the top? Is that... Wait. Huh? That's actually... Yeah. It's a wooden back scratcher In a drink. This drink being the answer to the metaphorical question actually makes perfect sense. The question being, when you pine for the palms, crave a crustacean, want for the waves and would love a libation, how will you scratch that tropical itch? Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Tony and this is Pod Tiki, where today we're covering the tropical itch. If the golden age of Tiki was a narrative, we are jumping back today into the main story arc. We've met both of our protagonists before. On the police leaderboard of Tropicalia, our two suspects are pretty near the top. In the Tiki Mafia, they're not quite Dons, but consigliaries of conch. By the way, if you guys don't realize that I write this as a blog post before I make the podcast version of it, I have to let you know that my dad jokes do carry over into my literary quirks. Um, When I wrote tiki mafia they are not quite the dons i spelt dons with two n's like don the beachcomber because my dad jokes i will never cease okay i'll stop the folks were um, the folks we're talking about today are harry yi and joe shalom respectively hailing from the hawaiian village hotel on waikiki harry yi is responsible for tiki garnish as we know it Credited as the first to use orchids and tiny umbrellas in drinks, we first met Yi as the inventor of the Blue Hawaii cocktail. See our full episode on that in the archives. Our second Baron of Bacanal holds court behind the bar of the Carib Hilton in San Juan, late of the Long Bar in Egypt. The man who helped win the Battle of El Alamin with his hangover cure for those suffering bastards has many entries in the tomes in Tiki. We're referring obviously to Joe Shalom, You can find his episode under the Suffering Bastard in the archives. Two legends, two drinks, one itch. So let's get to it. In 1957, Harry Yee created the Tropical Itch Cocktail on Waikiki, a mix of passion fruit juice, curacao, bitters, 151 rum, dark Jamaican rum, and bourbon. Yee quickly rose to head bartender at the Hawaiian Village Hotel following his hire in 1952. He was actually mixing drinks in Hawaii before we took it over, I mean... made it a state. I'm not going to go into that, just read your history. As the first actual Hawaiian to propagate pop tiki culture, Yi invented many drinks as well as added some tropical flair in the form of garnish. Not only was he the first one to add orchids atop a tipple, but his idea of placing paper parasols in each glass is the impetus of the term umbrella drinks. Yi created drinks that were simple and tropical, meant to satiate discerning tourists who wanted a local South Pacific indulgence. Aside from spitting in a kava bowl, which didn't really appeal to mainland vacationers. Oh, we're definitely going to cover kava bowl someday. But there weren't really any true Hawaiian drinks. After all, Rome was Caribbean, not Polynesian. Quote, a drink to me, Yee said, is something they don't get back home. Unquote. So, Harry Yee set out to make real Hawaiian drinks that embodied the flavors and soul of the islands while keeping in the modern, at the time, expectations of tiki. Who knows where an artist gets his inspiration? Perhaps it came to him in a dream. Perhaps a word from a lost love. Maybe he heard the phrase tropical itch referring to the need for a vacation and immediately made the connection to his craft. Or for the man who said, quote unquote, I wasn't thinking about romance. I was just being practical. He probably just grabbed the Chinese bamboo backscratcher that was laying around and threw it in a drink with Roman fruit juice and called it a tropical itch. A true pioneer. Harry Yee's combinations of juices, rums, and bourbons, and syrups hold a venerable place on the tiki totem. Rewind. What I meant to say was, In 1957, Joe Shalom invented the Tropical Itch cocktail for the Carib Hilton Resort. Joe's mix of light Puerto Rican rum, dark Jamaican rum, vodka, Grand Marnier, mango, and lime juices with bitters has a numbing effect sure to assuage any itchiness at all. In true Joe Shalom fashion, he gave the recipe out many times, but each time, a different version. A curious quencher indeed. Eventually, in true Beach Bum Berry fashion, Berry discovered the recipe hidden among Shalom's private papers. The combo of rum and tropical juices is no great invention, and using a secondary spirit was becoming commonplace. Where the plot thickens is the fact that Joe also garnished his tropical itch with a wooden backscratcher. Ah... The fat is in the fire, my friends. The fat is in the fire. Or the rum is in the tiki. Two legendary bartenders coming up with a drink by the same name? I can buy that. But using the same esoteric, if not mundane, household item as a garnish? Perhaps people had an itchier backs in the late 50s and there was some sort of a back scratcher boom happening that I don't know about. And I'm only half joking about that. Many times, when looking back to history, we have to take into consideration any parochial fads that may remain unbeknownst to us. But then, why not back scratchers and everything, stuck into a New York strip steak or protruding from a bowl of pasta? For the prevailing theory, we once again turn to Tiki historian Jeff Beachbum Berry. You see. In 1961, Conrad Hilton, owner of the Carib Hilton, where Shalom worked, purchased the Hawaiian Village Hotel, where Yi worked. Berry postulates that Hilton may have been scouting properties in Hawaii circa 1957 when Yi created the drink, subsequently leaning on Shalom to create a similar cocktail for the Carib, which he did the very same year. It was common then, as is now, to borrow concepts and recipes and put one's own twist on them. Heck, some say Trader Vic's Mai Tai was a riff on Don the Beachcomber's QB Cooler, right? But once the hula hips were in full swing, many menus offered not only the same popular standards, but similar copycats of modern staples, such as Harry Yee's Suffering Howley, which appears on vintage cocktail menus for the Hawaiian Village Hotel, but is a riff on Joe Shalom's famous Suffering Bastard. Perhaps Joe felt the need to re- uh reappropriate from Yi the way Yi did from him. I'm going to piggyback off that theory and say that Harry and Joe probably knew of each other by this point and held somewhat of a mutual respect for one another. This is all conjecture, but it's the way I like to see it in my head. Case in point, Joe's tropical itch uses a light rum-vodka combo, the basis for Harry's famous blue Hawaii, whereas Harry's tropical itch incorporates a dark rum-bourbon mix, a tip of the hat to Joe's dying bastard. Are these similarities just a stretched coincidence? Yeah, probably. With only so many derivatives, everything is similar to something in the tiki world. Professional courtesy or downright pilfery, we'll never know. The chicken, the egg, Hans Greedo, Tupac Biggie, the tropical itch. It appears we have another entry in the annals of who came first. But it wouldn't be an episode of Pod Tiki if I didn't take my own stance. And for what it's worth, which is not much, my money's on Harry Yi inventing the drink. His I-don't-care-how-others-do-it attitude and penchant for creative garnish seems a no-brainer to me. Joe Shalom's style of bartending was more Euro-highbrow. I feel like he would have looked at sticking a backscratcher in a drink as the equivalent of selling out to pop-tiki tourist culture. But Conrad Hilton was nothing but if not persistent and persuasive, especially when he's signing the checks, which he did for both men eventually. In the end, we have two very tasty drinks, very tasty tiki drinks, both worthy in their own right of a place in our lexicon of libations, our punchy pantheon. Having the same name and aesthetics while maintaining their independence flavor-wise, we have no choice. Let's make two drinks! Oh, we're about to get it on this one. Another tell that these drinks were modeled after one another is their gargantuan size. Utilizing a whopping full cup of juice, both concoctions come served in a large hurricane glass. I also like to use my larger tiki mugs for this, since they don't get much use. That empty space when the mug is too big for the drink always leaves a sad, somewhat inadequate feeling. As is with a lot of tropical originals, the itch has been adapted and modernized, and by modernized I mean made simpler. That being said, Some liberties, like floating the dark rum or adding lime and simple syrup to fill it out, are passable variants, but today we're going to start with Harry Yee's OG recipe. Here it is. Eight ounces, or one cup, of passion fruit juice, a half ounce of orange curacao, one and a half ounces of amber 151 rum, one ounce of dark Jamaican rum, one ounce bourbon, and two dashes of Angostura bitters. I tried for weeks to hunt down 100% passion fruit juice. Most of the stuff you'll find in major grocery chains is some kind of passion fruit blend. The best I found there was the Ceres, or Ceres, whatever how it's pronounced. It claims to be passion fruit, but in the ingredients we find it's actually cut with pear juice. I don't know about pear juice. Pears are like that unassuming preppy white dude at the office who you always see but never notice. I've got my eye on you, pears wedged right in there between the apples and the citrus. I see you trying to creep your way into tropical juices. Anyway, I actually found real passion fruit juice at, at a local Mexican market. The brand I like is uh, Demi Pais, but there are a few similar brands. As long as it's 100% passion fruit juice or nectar, just beware the pear. For Curaçao, I suggest leaving the cap on the Pierre Ferrand or your good stuff and using bowls or even Hiram Walker. This is a boozy, fruity beverage. A top-shelf Curaçao would get lost in there. For that reason, you could even use a triple sec. I couldn't tell the difference, but I used Bowles Orange Curaçao. Amber 151. This was tough. Most high-quality overproof rums are either Jamaican or incorporate a Jamaican in the blend. Awesome as those rums are, the Jamaican funk would change the profile too much. I don't think Bacardi even makes their 151 anymore, and Demerara overproofs are too dark. Finally, I came across Carabaya 151 out of Barbados. Now, Bajan rums are some of the best in the world, so even for a low to mid shelf 151, Carabaya holds up. I'm generally not a fan of overproof rums. I would like to have more than one and not be slammed. So I don't have too much context for comparison, but I can tell you it definitely does the job of boozing up this concoction. But any 151 amber rum would suffice, so let me know if there's a brand out there I should try. As for the dark Jamaican rum, you guys know I love my Myers' Original Dark for tiki drinks. And for bourbon, I reached for the classic Old Forester. Four Roses also is a good option. I wouldn't go too high or too low shelf on the bourbon here. Um, On the high end, I know it's hard and sometimes futile using top shelf for mixing. I don't like doing it. But also a bad bourbon here will add that unbecoming pungence that sometimes a, a lower shelf bourbon can have. Add all the ingredients in a large tiki glass, fill with crushed ice, and swizzle with a swizzle stick until the glass frosts. Yes, this is a swizzle drink. Garnish with mint, pineapple, orchid flour, and of course, a wooden scratcher. Just plop that thing right in so it protrudes superfluously out of the glass. It should be obnoxiously tall, kind of getting in the way. I would refrain from using the scratcher for any actual itches. That kind of tropical itch requires tropical antibiotics. Or maybe an ointment, a... Tropical Topical. The drink should have an almost phosphorescent orange glow to it. It's surprisingly well-balanced, but also kind of wow-boozy at first. Once it settles and the ice melts just a bit, yeast tropical itch mellows out to a very nice, smooth, fruity, islandy relief. I actually really like this. It may become part of my regular rotation of drinks to make it home. I like that it's not overly sweet like a hurricane could be, but if if it ever is, a little amount of... Lime juice will fix that. I approve. Now, let's bounce to the other side of the new world, to a different tropics and a different itch. Ten years after World War II, while the greatest generation were discovering manicured lawns and PTSD, Joe Shalom was in San Juan, Puerto Rico, managing the bar of the Carib Hilton. While exotic passion fruits reigned supreme in the Pacific, Mango wore the crown in the Caribbean. Shalom's itch still packs an alcohol punch, though more subdued and punch-like. Here's his recipe. Two ounces light Puerto Rican rum, one ounce dark Jamaican rum, one ounce vodka, one ounce Grand Marnier, a half ounce lime juice, two dashes Angostura bitters, and six ounces mango juice or nectar. For the rum, I used Bacardi Silver to stay true to the instructions, but I found Plantation 3 Star does a fabulous job working with the other flavors and rounds out the strength a bit. I stuck with Myers for the dark, and for vodka, I always use Reika. For those not in the know, that's a craft vodka out of Iceland, and it's the only vodka I can actually tell apart from the others. It's called Reika. Grand Marnier is Grand Marnier, but you could also use the Pierre Ferrand here. I know, I know, that's an expensive curacao for mixing, but in this case, it's you need a true brandy-based curacao to actually make the, the difference over the tri- this cheaper triple sec, especially... With our next ingredient. Mango juice versus mango nectar! The battle continues, it rages on Sunday! Sunday! Beach Bomb Berry suggests don't use nectar, it's too sweet. Well, I went out and purchased the best brand mango juice and Humex brand mango nectar. In my house, we found opposite the trend to be true. Mango juice is quite overpowering with mango flavor. I mean, to the point where it kind of hides the delicate balance of a tiki drink. In that case, um, if you're going to use mango juice, you can go ahead and use the cheaper curacao, it's going to get covered up anyway. I must admit, it has a similar profile to yeast drink, Fruity and Boozy, so as a riff, it works perfectly. But, mango is a bit of a heavier flavor and lingers on the palate more. I find using the nectar in this drink adds a bit of sweetness, yes, which is fine, as there's no added sweetener in this drink, but also it tones down the viscosity of the mango and lets the other flavors come out. Especially if you're experimenting with different rums, I would go with the nectar. More Caribbean than Hawaiian, this version should be a flaxen yellowish amber. So basically the color of mango. Duh. Great writing, Tony. Using more ingredients and less contrasting rums gives this drink a better balance, I think. So mix all the ingredients in with a heavy cup of crushed ice and pour into a large hurricane glass. Go ahead and you know mix it in a shaker, and then pour it into a large hurricane glass. Top with more ice if needed, and garnish with mint, assorted fruit, and that wooden scratcher. Both versions are incredible and have become go-to's in the Pa Tiki household over the last few weeks. My wife, who usually sticks to daiquiris or whatever I'm making at the time, actually requested the Shalom version. Personally, I enjoy the Harry Yee mix. Two drinks from two titans of Tiki. One very good buzz. But wait, there's more. In a sudden burst of creativity, I thought, What if we bash up these two versions in one ultimate, all star mega mucho mucho mas traveling wilberrys mega-mucho-mucho-mach-traveling-wilberry's-esoteric-exotica-frankenstein's-monster-it's-alive-it's-alive cocktail? This, my friends, is my version of the Tropical Itch, called the Pod Itchy Pot. One ounce of light rum, one ounce dark Jamaican rum, one ounce bourbon, a half ounce amber 151 rum, a half ounce orange curacao, a half ounce lime juice... Three dashes of Angostura bitters, three ounces of passion fruit juice, and three ounces of mango nectar. Shake it all with one and a half cups of crushed ice and dump it into a large tiki mug. Top with ice if needed and garnish with mint, pineapple frond, and a wooden backscratcher. Bam! There you have it, peoples. I think this is actually a fruity, boozy, yet wonderfully balanced homage to both bartenders' creations. I find the juices work well together in the finest coming together of East Coast-West Coast since Afini Shakir hugged Valletta Wallace at the VMAs. I'm pretty proud of how good my version turned out, but it was derived from two of the masters. Also, both of these drinks would taste great as frozen boat drinks as well. We'll have to go back to that one day. So, boozy passion or mango exotica? both of which are great drag queen names, by the way. It's not a competition. Both versions of the tropical itch will surely hit that spot that you just can't reach on your own. I mean, what other drink allows you to satiate your sobriety and your psoriasis at the same time? Remember, folks, a tropical itch is not just something you pick up from a one-night stand on St. Thomas. So drink responsibly. In fact, do everything responsibly. And as always, keep it tiki. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Tony. This has been another episode of Pod Tiki. Credits for this episode can be found at podtiki.com. Please follow the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, uh, uh, Google, uh, iHeart, all the places. You can follow us online at pod underscore tiki on Instagram and Facebook. You can find my personal page on Instagram at rum underscore poet. And most of all, Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.